0: Has the world gone crazy? Life is difficult. Jobs, bills, health, relationships. When you need help, where do you turn? It seems everyone wants to sell you a package to fix your life. Welcome to Christian Impact, impacting your life with spiritual truth. I am Dr. Kelly Blanton, and I'm sharing practical truths in the Bible that can truly change your life. Today, May 20th, 2022, we continue our series, Chronicles of the Kingdom, Lesson 19, The Divided Heart Tree. We have been Covering several lessons about the heart tree. I encourage you to go back and listen to those on previous podcasts to catch up. But today we're talking about the divided heart tree. And I'm going to be honest, this is a very convicting lesson for those believers who truly love the Lord. And I I say the challenge to this is that if you're a non-believer, many of these lessons in the series Chronicles of the Kingdom uh, will not make any sense. Uh, They're not focused towards those who are not already Christians and mature in their walk with the Lord. But many people who claim to be Christian sometimes have issues and, and trouble understanding topics about the Kingdom. This lesson... Will be one of them, and that's why I say it's convicting. Because if you are a real believer, growing and walking with the Lord, then we understand that we're not perfect. We make mistakes. We, we, we don't want to sin, but sometimes uh, we, we, we fall to the flesh, or something happens, and we, we repent, and we're, we're, we're trying and trusting and walking with the Lord, and and the struggle of just living life is there, but we are living it. However, as we go through this material, I want you to understand there were people, just like in Jesus' time, you had Pharisees and Sadducees. These were different groups of religious views of Judaism, and they did not understand Jesus, and they rejected things. When John the Baptist came, uh, the sinners lined up to repent, and they didn't. I'm not saying there were some of them that did, but most of them, the majority of them did not. And when Jesus came with his message, the majority of them did not receive that message. And likewise, today we're going to talk about the divided heart tree. And if you find yourself saying this message doesn't pertain to you at all, I would ask that you would search your heart. Because I really believe that the Christian Pharisee today will not respond to this message. At all, so today we get into our divided heart tree, and just a little bit of a review because we talked about uh, the heart tree, talking about good seed and bad seed, and ultimately they produced good trees and bad trees, and we we discuss those type of trees and the the patterns uh, that develop in your life, the the systems that you develop in your life, whether they're good or bad. Uh, it comes from the the seed. The words that you accept are you accepting the word of God? Are you planting that in your heart? Is it is it growing? Um, you know, because as a bad seed grows, you, pride and rebellion and lust, and we we, we went through those things now, again. I encourage you to go back. And then I also included a lesson called "The Harlotry of Babylon," and it's about the 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 system of of the worldly system. That's the type of spiritual adultery that, that goes on and, and uh, infects much of the world and society. And so today, I want to talk about another type of heart tree, but it's different than those that we've talked about before. Uh, the good tree, that's that purified bride. The bad tree, it's, it's that impure harlot tree. But today we're talking about the divided heart tree. And this is a this is like a hybrid. Um, unlike the pure bride of Christ or the harlot from the bad tree, this is an impure wife tree. It's an adulterous heart tree. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, we're gonna talk about a person that is quote unquote married to Jesus. One side of their heart. Is producing good fruit for Jesus, but it's only one side. You see, they have another side of their heart that's still infected with sin in the world. And refer back to the the harlotry of Babylon teaching, where we talked about that when you when you believe the system of the world and and its things and what happens is it produces a divided heart and so what happens is is that when you think about what is what's the difference between a an adulterer and a harlot well a harlot sells themselves or prostitute they have no covenant commitment to the people that they're involved with it's A business practice is something that they do. Um, In this type of symbolic, figurative language, I'm using uh, the 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 harlot in the religious views is just someone that they're not walking with God and they don't care about walking with God. But the adulteress is the person that has committed true relationship they've entered the marriage and yet they cheat on their spouse they they feel one way but act another and one thing having counseled and seen marriages uh, survive and destroyed one thing i can say about adultery is that many times one of the people that's committing the adultery, they don't want to leave their partner. When caught, they will confess their love and they will try to fight to save the marriage. But the point is, is that their heart is that of an adulterer and they keep going back and they keep going back and they keep going back. Yet, they'll cry and say that they truly love the person. Well, the same thing happens With the Lord, we have spiritual adultery. And no, spiritual adultery is when you both seek God and yourself. In other words, you're God-seeking and self-seeking at the same time. You're trying, or this tree is trying to mix both God-serving and self-serving at the same time. Now let's look at some scriptures because is this just me making this up from human perspective or is this something of a scriptural basis? Well, let's look. Psalm 12, 2 says, They speak idly, everyone with his neighbor, with flattering lips, and a double heart they speak. Some translations will say, divided heart they speak. Hosea ten two says their heart is divided. Now they are held guilty. He will break down their altars. He will ruin their sacred pillars. Second Chronicles twenty five two, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a loyal heart. Now I know some of those are not in context, but what I want you to see is that number one, we're already beginning to see set up. Points where people, their heart is divided. It's not loyal. I like that in 2 Chronicles 25 too. Here's a, here's a man that did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a loyal heart. You know, the, the the adulterer will do what is right to keep his marriage, but he doesn't have a loyal heart. In other words, he's really after other things. Or she is after I try to keep this as generic as possible because in in our world, you know, men and women can commit adultery. But when we talk about the Lord, and I think from this point on forward, I'm going to use this context just because of the way the Lord uh, symbolizes in Scripture. But in Scripture, uh, Jesus is the groom, and we are the bride. And so, therefore, if we're the ones going to straight, as the bride. Uh, that is committing the adultery. Uh, Jesus is always faithful. And so, again, this is just symbolism. Don't get caught up with thinking that, you know, oh, men can't commit adultery. No, no, in in our life, men and women can both do this. Uh, But in the symbolism of Scripture, um, God has to play a role and you and I have to play a role. and, And this is the symbolism that is used. And so if I refer to it that way, let's just understand it as that way. James three ten through 14 says, Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Does no spring can yield both salt, water, and fresh you know, this often reminds me of a scripture, and I'm not sharing this scripture, but Jesus talks about you can't serve both God and mammon. Now, mammon was a, an idol, but is is basically about money. He's, he's is the God of money. And, and so he goes, you can't serve God and money. Um, I'm not using that one, but I want us to understand that there's this thing where we can't really serve two gods. We can't really serve God and ourselves. And this passage from James we just read talks about what? It's the things proceeding from the heart. You know, the book of Luke says from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Um, And then here in James, he's saying, how can you curse and bless from your mouth? It shouldn't be that way. And what? Can you get fresh water and salt water from the same well? Uh, I know there's places you can go. Florida, Louisiana, and places where you can have literally stand on a bank and throw a fishing line in on one side, and it's, it's freshwater, and, and on another side it's salt water. But this is not the comparison because that's one from a freshwater river emptying into the ocean that is salt water. Uh, that's where those things happen. I'm talking about if you dig a well in the countryside, or your backyard, someplace, it's going to be one or the other. It's not both. And then likewise. Uh, with, with, uh, with, you can't plant an olive tree and, and get grapevines vines just come up. It, it doesn't work that way. And it's and comparing our lives. This idea that we can see God and ourselves, God is saying it's not real. It's not true. But it's something that happens. And, and so, this type of adultery, you know, it, it is really one of the most hideous sins that mankind can do. And both spiritual and natural adultery, it is absolutely terrible. It brings loss and destruction in life. You know, in the natural, in quote, the physical, what someone has been considered the real life, um, a marriage is supposed to be uh, pure. You're supposed to have this relationship with your spouse, one that you can love and trust. And when they, Commit adultery that is completely shattered. Very few marriages survive adultery. I have seen marriages that, quote unquote, survive, but they don't really survive. They don't divorce, but the the, the couple, they, they live in bitterness and contention and mistrust the rest of their lives. And the only reason why they didn't go out to the courts to do it is because of the financial and social repercussions. That they did not want to face. Um, others, when it happens, the, the they just the couple just deals with it and and, and seeks the divorce. Um, but you know, spiritual adultery, it does the same thing. You you you've committed this act that destroys a relationship, and unfortunately. It's not like you can look at the Lord and say, well, you know, I signed a contract, God, and I, you're just going to have to live with me for eternity. Because that's not exactly how it, it goes. And also another thing about adultery is the person committing an adultery relationship will often try to hide it from the other person. I want us to know right now that when we commit spiritual adultery with God, it never goes unnoticed. He knows about it. Um, And what's so crazy is that for the believer that's doing it, if that that person now is pretending to be obedient, they pretend obedience, but they're not they're, they're in bondage in their heart to other things to serving something else. And this creates a double mindedness or a doubled heart you are no longer loyal you begin to have uh, double motivation sure you desire to serve god and you desire accomplish something for yourself it's selfishness it's self-seeking you know and when we say self-seeking it's like you know you want to do this you, you the, the lust that you have is going to drive you to fulfill this need that you have within yourself and adultery will always bring a curse. It always brings a curse. Terrible things happen. Jeremiah twenty three fourteen. Also, I've seen a horrible thing in the prophets of Jerusalem. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen their hands of evildoers so that no one turns back from his wickedness. All of them are like Sodom to me and her inhabitants like Gomorrah. Here, Jeremiah is prophesying. He's saying, well, all the prophets of Jerusalem at this time, they commit adultery. They're walking in lies. These were the the, the spiritual leaders of Israel. And Jeremiah's like, going, you guys are a bunch of adulterers. And when he says, the Lord says, you're like Sodom and Gomorrah to me. Understand, the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. He also says that, these spiritual leaders, when they're there and they're, they're committing this type of adultery, that they lie, and they will strengthen other people to be evil so that no one will turn back from wickedness. We see that today in many, many churches across our land. We, we've seen the pastors and things fall in sin. But when you look at churches that no longer address sin, they just want to talk good things. They don't want to look at sin. Chances are it's because their leaders are in adultery. Not physical adultery. Maybe they're in physical adultery, but most likely spiritual adultery. If the leaders are not have hearts that are totally dedicated to God, they've already they're already worshiping something else, and their hearts are split, they won't want to deal with sin. They don't want to deal with it. They don't want to talk about it. They wanna they want to gloss it over, and they are helping. Their people to not turn away from wickedness. They're helping them, enabling them to be evildoers. Jeremiah, just a few verses earlier, Jeremiah 23.10, he says, For the land is full of adulterers, for because of a curse the land mourns. The pleasant places of the wilderness are dried up, their course of life is evil, and their might is not right. When your land is full of adulterers, it causes things to mourn. And then you go down a few verses later and it says the prophets of Jerusalem are adulterers. When a generation, when you, when you have a land that's full, and when it's say adulterers, we're talking about spiritual adultery. People that say they're believers and they're not really seeking the Lord. It brings evil upon a land. And the evil that comes across the land and the curse is so great that even those that are in ministry serving the Lord can get caught up in this wave of not wanting to serve the Lord wholeheartedly. And they ended up chasing after the world's ways. And this gets to the point where we're uh, talked about in the harlotry of Babylon, where you get, you get caught up, you get trained in the philosophy and the beliefs of the world. I have to act this way if I want to keep my job. I have to do this if I want to be accepted by society. I have to do this. I have to accept this sin. We're seeing that today. We have to accept whatever people want to identify with. We have to accept however they want to live. We have to accept evil when it comes in. We have to accept the killing of unborn. We have to accept uh the evils of the world. we have to accept corruption in our government. we have to accept these things. and this this evil begins to pervade. Um, you know Jeremiah talks about the the people that will that when the judgment came that they were carried away captive. they were carried away captive. And this this happened when of course God judged Israel, for their spiritual adultery, and they were carried away captive into Babylon, into the very system that was self-seeking. And, 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 but when they went, God, God gave them a hope. He gave them a little hope what he says, if you seek me, you will find me, when you search for me with all your heart. See, there's some clues there. If we will seek God with all of our hearts... He can be found. When we look at ourselves today, we have to really stop and consider what are we doing? What are our motivations? Am I doing this self-seeking? Am I doing this God-seeking? What is my whole heart wanting to do? You know, Proverbs 5.14 says, I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the congregation and assembly. What does that mean? I was on the verge of total ruin. The, here in this proverb, it's like, I was on the path that was going to destroy myself. And I was doing it in the midst of the congregation the assembly. It's talking about the believers. See, the, the divided heart tree, these are... Our Christian brothers and sisters are the ones that claim to be. And they're in our midst. And they're on the road to destruction. Through self-seeking. It produces a spiritual adultery. Well, what do we do? How do we how do we handle this? You know, we, we don't want to do this. Well, 1 Corinthians 10.33. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. In other words, we need to not seek our own profit. That's our own selfish gain. We need to turn away from that. And what? Seek seek the benefit of others. Luke twelve twenty nine through 33 says, And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom Now, I want us to understand what we we need to seek the kingdom of God, not what we think we need, this self-seeking things. Here in Luke, Jesus says, don't seek what you shall eat or drink, nor have an anxious mind. That's where you worry. You worry about things. What about this? What about this? We're not supposed to do that. The world seeks out those things. It says what? Your father knows you need these things. In other words, God knows what we need. He knows there are things in life that we need. So why are we seeking these things when God knows that we need them? And he is our provider. But he says what? Seek the kingdom of God. I like in Matthew, it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. Are added. This this is something that I think we should meditate on, and we should really get at, especially in the times that we're living in today, where the temptation to seek after your own betterment. And when I say betterment, I mean yeah, there's always the commercial better your life, but there there the enemy tempts you into trying to say this choice will be better for you. It's better for you to, you know, you've worked hard. You've worked a lot of overtime. You should just sleep in this week and, and you can go to church next week. You can, you can go worship the Lord of the Believers another time. You know, it would be better for you to go to your children's extracurricular games and, and devote some time there rather than... Not letting them have this opportunity because you're just going to seek the Lord. See, these decisions are self-seeking. It's it's I, I, I'll better myself. I'll better my children. I'll better. Listen, if we want to better ourselves, if we want to really better ourselves, if we want to really better our children, seeking God will always produce good fruit. But when we seek something that's selfish. It always produces bad fruit. You know, even when Jesus was tempted by Satan, Matthew chapter 4, this is verse 10. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. When we serve ourselves, we're serving the enemy. And that's what makes us an adulterous generation. It shows that we don't clearly hear the voice of God and that we don't want to change. This is convicting when it gets down to looking at it as believers. Matthew 12, 39. This is the first part of the verse. And I'm going to read it out of the Amplified because Amplified expands on something it says an evil and adulterous generation that is a generation morally unfaithful to god seeks or demands a sign and of course the the amplified took that generation and and amplified it so that is a generation morally unfaithful to god an adulterous generation seeks or demands a sign In other words, God, show me, tell me, you know, prove yourself to me. God, produce this miracle, God, and I will believe you. That's what an adulterous generation does. Matthew 16, 3 through 4, and verse 6 says, Jesus speaks as hypocrites. You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Verse 6, Then Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You know, Jesus called the Pharisees and the Sadducees hypocrites. He called them the adulterous generation. And notice that if you're part of the adulterous generation you demand or you seek a sign i know many christians they 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 chase conference after conference seeking signs and wonders now i am a spirit filled believer i believe in miracles i believe god moves with signs and wonders but i am not called to seek signs and wonders i am called to seek god i am called to seek the kingdom of god not seek for a sign that's what the adulterous generation does seek for a sign you're looking for what god prove yourself to me come and benefit me that's self-seeking See, Pharisees, spiritual Pharisees are Sadducees, make a great show of being a Christian. By the way, a Sadducee was a Jewish person and that that group, that religious group in the time of Jesus, they did not believe in angels or demons. They didn't believe in the supernatural. They didn't believe they didn't even believe in an afterlife. Uh, they sort of kind of believed it was them and God here and now and very and that's why they were the ones that would make agreements with the Romans because this was everything. A Pharisee believed in those things. And so today we have Christians that are just like that. We have, we have Sadducees that don't believe God can do anything. And this is everything that's here. And, and those churches reflect that. And then we have Pharisees. They, they believe stuff, but they're caught up in law and ritual and how things look. Are they, are they doing the right songs? Are they laying hands on people the right way? Um, you know, even even in charismatic Pentecostal circles, these are the same ones that say, if you don't fall down and speak in tongues and shake a certain way, then God did not move. They're very, you know, I won't say Pharisee. They, their law has to be done a certain way or it just doesn't happen. And they make great shows of being Christians. But this, this generation, this adulterous generation, notice... What Jesus says, the only sign that is given to them is the sign of Jonah the prophet. Only the sign of Jonah the prophet. What is the sign of Jonah the prophet? Can we contemplate this for a second? Was it I've asked this before, and people start going through the whole tell of Jonah. Well, he was he was called to Nineveh. And he ran away, it was a storm, and they threw him over, and he was swallowed by a fish. And and so all the sign of Jonah was that he was in the fish three days and three nights. And then he prayed and God spit him up on the shore. Well, maybe in reference to Jesus, the fact that Jesus was in the grave three days, and then he came up. That's that's a sign. He's like the sign of Jonah. He was, he was in the grave. Uh, but when Jonah went into Nineveh, he preached repentance. Repent. God's going to destroy this place in so many days. And of course, from Jonah's perspective, he focused on God's going to destroy this place in so many days and you all are done. Because Jonah was like, what he'd gone through, he just wanted God to kill them all and get, get 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 over with. But when the Ninevites, when the Assyrians took one look at Jonah, because Jonah looked like he'd been sitting in the belly of a fish being digested for three days. When they saw this walking zombie before them, it scared them. They received the message, and they repented before the Lord. When Jesus rose from the dead, it was a sign to us that we should repent and turn to Him, that His words were true, that He is the way, the truth, and the life, that there is no other way to the Father except through Him. See, the sign of Jonah is a sign that brings you to repentance. How do you get out of this adulterous generation? See, if you're a Christian, you're really seeking the Lord, you understand what I'm saying because we all at some point have failings and struggles in our lives, but we really want to seek God. And this type of thing goes, Lord, I don't want to be one of these Christians that I really love you, but I keep falling away. I keep doing the same things over and over again. We don't want to do that. See, the key is repentance. That's how you get away from being this adultery that goes on, the spiritual adultery, this adulterous generation. It's repentance. Repentance. Let's look at another example. John chapter 8. And I'm going to skip around a little bit. I'm going to read verses 3 and 4 and then 10 and 12. The scribes and the Pharisees brought to him, i bringing to Jesus, a woman caught in adultery. And when they set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. And then verse 10, when Jesus had raised himself up and saw that no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now, you can read that full story in John 8. This is a woman. She's caught in adultery. They bring her out to Jesus, and they want to stone her. And they're, and they're waiting for Jesus to say, yes, right, we should stone her. That's what the law says. You should stone the adulterer. But you see, what's the key? How do you? What's the key to getting out of adultery? It's repentance. And repentance is not where you say, I'm sorry, I got caught. See, this is why most marriages, when uh, one of the people have gone into adultery, and they say, I'm so sorry. What they're really saying is, I'm sorry, I got caught. And they do the adultery again when they think they won't get caught. It's like speeding. I tell everyone this is this is one of my 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 struggles. I you know I get in the car, get on the highway. I need to be somewhere. I can speed. And the police officer pulls you over for speeding, and you say, "Officer, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to." But what you're really saying is, is I'll do it again if I think I can get away with it. That's what we're saying in our hearts. We may not be saying that in our minds. You know, we, our mind, we may really be saying, I don't ever want to do this again. But our heart's are saying, you know what? If I think I can get away with it again, I will. And that's that's not confession. That's We're not really confessing. And we're not really repenting. We're just sorry we got caught. But when you repent is when you confess, you agree with what God sees in it being wrong. We agree that this is is evil and and heinous. and, And we turn from that wickedness to Him. We turn to God. And you know what? When we do that, Jesus forgives us. He doesn't condemn us. But he says what? Well, right, go and sin no more. In other words, quit walking in darkness. Walk in life. Walk in light. Matthew eighteen nine. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye rather than having two eyes. To be cast into hellfire. Luke thirty three three, excuse me. Luke thirteen three, says the same thing, but then he ends it by saying, "But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish." Now let's take this Matthew passage about cutting off your your eye if your sin. If you read more, it talks about if your hand causes you sin, cut it off. Your eye causes you sin, pluck it out. Listen, this is figurative. Jesus doesn't want us cutting off arms and legs and eyes and. And things like that. The point is you need to cut off the things that cause you to be self-seeking. You need to cut off the things in your life that cause you want to chase after darkness. You need to repent. To turn away. In the Old Testament, they used circumcision. Jesus said you don't need to circumcise your, 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 your skin. You need to circumcise your heart. The reason they did what they did in the Old Testament was that you're going to have to really really trust God to do this because when they did it in the old testament it didn't initially start off with children who were small and won't remember it later it was it was adult men and this is pretty freaking crazy you want me to cut off what to do what I'm trying not to be gross or you know im improper in my, my speak, but I want us to understand the seriousness of this. It was really about a, what, a circumcision of the heart. Well, what's what circumcision? You're cutting off some flesh. Jesus talks about circumcising our heart. No, we're not going to open up our chest and cut off a piece of muscle meat pounding. Nor does he want us cutting off eyeballs and hands. He wants you to spiritually cut off the things within you that causes you to do that. We, and that you do that through repentance. These, 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 these self-seeking things thing in me that wants to seek after my own good I need to cut that off Galatians 2 says, I you know I'm crucified with Christ you know I want to take that part of me and nail it to the cross that part of me needs to die you know, if, if if I'm if I'm having issues with sin, I need to cut that off from my life. I need to, in the name of Jesus, by faith, I need to crucify that on His cross—the cross that He died for my sin—and that's where it needs to go. And now I can live this life that He offers in me. So as I sit here and I'm ponder the end of this. I hope we're challenged, convicted, but in the end, understand that the Lord loves us and He wants our whole hearts. There's too many in the church today that are living with divided hearts. If that's you and you're hearing this message, turn to the Lord. Give real confession and real repentance to Him, and He will forgive you. He will cleanse you. He will empower you to walk in the light because that is His promise. That is the, the changing power of the Lord Jesus Christ demonstrated on the cross and in the resurrection to us. Let's pray. Father, I thank You that You love us, that You gave Your Son for us That, Lord, the greatest miracle is the change in our heart that you can produce. And, God, as we have heard your word here, God, and for those that hear God and want to respond, Lord, we ask that you would bring conviction, repentance, and cleansing in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand what it means to be a divided heart, God. Help us to pray, God, for a nation and a generation that has a divided heart, God. And help us to seek you. Wholeheartedly, Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness and your power in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Christian Impact Podcast at Chronicles of the Kingdom. You can catch up on lessons on our website at christianimpact.net. And until next time, God bless.